0: this episode of policing matters is brought to you by polco learn how you can gather resident insights on the state of law enforcement in your community visit info.polco.us you're listening to policing matters on police one.com i'm your host jim dudley hey welcome back and thanks for listening Well, policing, as you know, is a stressful business. It's been described as hours of sheer boredom, interrupted by minutes of sheer terror. Unfortunately, the moments of terror, seeing horrific trauma, experiencing injury, or seeing fellow public safety officers harmed, or witnessing death, all carry a heavy toll. Over the past few years, we've seen some relief in the forms of behavioral science, peer support groups, and even mental health apps and social media sites, but isn't it great when we can experience relief in a more tangible way? One of those ways may be achieved in the form of comfort animals. In public safety, we have a great organization called Crisis Response Canines. The mission of Crisis Response Canines is to provide strength, comfort, and emotional support to individuals, families, communities, and first responders experiencing Intense Traumatic Emotions in the Aftermath of Critical Incidents. Today's guest is John Hunt, co-founder and chief operating officer of Crisis Response Canines, Crisis Intervention and Canine Professional. John is a 27-year veteran of the New Jersey State Police, where he achieved the rank of major. John was the Homeland Security Special Operations Section Commanding Officer. John also served as Deputy Director of the New Jersey Officer of Emergency Management. Hey, welcome to Policing Matters, John Hunt.
1: Hey, Chief, how are you? Thank you very much for having me, and uh, hello to your audience.
0: Oh, great to have you. I've been trying to track you down for a while. I guess I should have used a canine to find you. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, You know, unfortunately for what you do, you've been really busy and and I want to hear about that. I want to hear about how you got started and and tell us exactly what is crisis response canines? What do you do?
1: Well, I think the best way to start is to tell you how I got started with the crisis intervention piece. Uh, Quite frankly, at the time and right after 9-11, I was brought up to the field operations branch and I was voluntold. as as many of our enlisted will understand. I was voluntold to take a course of education regarding uh, critical incident stress management. It wasn't called such back then. It was more EAP, but it was a variation of EAP. Um, And like I said, I was voluntold. I took it because I had to, uh, but I did get some things out of that. And then quite frankly, as I grew in rank and matured into rank and matured into leadership, I started to understand the, the need to really take care of our personnel. We, you know, I started seeing some things and the impact it was having these traumatic events or the cumulative effect it may have with, with especially first responders, as as you well know, and serving in the capacity you did as a deputy chief. And you know, it's it's funny because I had the um, distinct honor and privilege of being the commanding officer of Operation Lead. And Operation Lead was the Louisiana Louisiana Emergency Assistance Deployment. And we had over 500 personnel from New Jersey respond to Katrina, to the New Orleans area after Katrina. And again, we took over three districts when we were down there. We were very successful. We had people from every walk of life. And one of the components we brought with us were people associated with employee assistance. And so I saw the, the role that they played because in total, I think I, w- I was talking to a, an associate of mine who was a comrade down there. He was a lieutenant who was with me. I think in total, we, we found, unfortunately, uh, 11, uh, 111 bodies. So you can imagine the impact that had with everyone who was responding in that magnitude and the need to get with them and to communicate with them. And then there was something else I found that was very profound when we were down there. And for those who know, especially in our region, um, there was a distrust, if you will, or a mistrust of government, law enforcement. And it was funny, at one point in time, I was part of an operation down there, and they brought in therapy dogs. And I saw the profound impact that these canines had with individuals. They, they literally were breaking down barriers. And it, again, canines are non-judgmental. They don't ask questions. They are specifically there for the people. And I learned an incredible amount just watching that, and that was 2005. And I, take a, I started taking more of an interest in regards to what was going on with the animal assisted therapy, if you will, and started to um, actually take more studies with ICISF, the, uh, the International Critical Incident Stress um, Management Foundation. And I got my certification in crisis, intervention stress management, started, if you will, dabbling in, in critical and stress debriefings, you know, where there would be a traumatic event, you know, where we would get with first responders in particular because of my background, and start trying to help those folks in regards to how they were responding to to different events, and, under, and helping them understand it, you know they were, they were taking and having normal reactions to abnormal events, and telling them about the cumulative effect, and telling them that all too often, we, especially in, in, in our areas, first responders, we think we're superheroes. We think because we arrive, everything will be better and okay, uh, whether it's an active shooter event, whether it's other events we may go to, accidents, tragic accidents. I'm here. I'm going to fix this. And sometimes we just can't. And it has a profound impact on those who are part of this. Maybe not then, but certainly as time goes on. So that's some of the things that we, that I started to recognize firsthand. And then quite frankly, right around 2015, I joined another organization whose focus was using the canines. And I certainly liked their program. Um, truth be told, the individual in charge at one point in time. we responded out to to Las Vegas after the route ninety one festival. And we were doing um, you know some phenomenal work with the first responder. They did an incredible job in their response and some of the things you know tragically that they had to address. And quite frankly, the individual who at the time was in charge of this, this, um, I thought was in it for the wrong reasons. Uh, actually said to us at one point in time, make sure you're getting pictures of people crying because I need that for my presentation. And truth be told, a number of us who were part of the organization left directly after that. Hmm. And we continue to get our training, especially in the critical instance stress management. Um, there are several of us now in the organization who are certified trainers or instructors. And we looked at another organization and we found that the critical, the, the crisis response canines in 2018. And we saw the need that we needed to do this nationally, if you will. Uh, Certainly we had our our regional capabilities and we had deployed, but we started to expand what we were doing because of the need, especially with the first responders. And then first responders, like I said, uh, we had one event, we talked about breaking down the barriers. We had one event where there was a language barrier. It was a shooting that was down South in the country. And quite frankly, the FBI came to us and said, hey, would you mind partnering with us with your canines to see if you can assist us with some of the folks with some different inter- interviews and some of the things were ongoing. And again, the, the, the canines broke down those barriers. They interacted with the people. The people started speaking and, and trusting in law enforcement only because of the canines and the impact that they have. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's been proven time and time again that they're a viable support mechanism. Um, they're, they're probably known as a tactical component of critical incident stress management. So again, we started Partnering with with other agencies, and we started doing more with the organization. Now, the organization that we're part of, I think one of the challenges we have, um, you know, you and I spoke about it many times over the last couple of weeks, is trying to expand because right now we're still in our infancy. But there's a great demand. One of the biggest things is the people who are going to be part of our organization they must complete incident command training one, two, two eighty eight, seven hundred, eight hundred. Reason being is we 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 actually uh, deployed to Surfside. And we want everyone who's part of our organization to understand incident command. I know you too have a background in incident command. You know, being the deputy director of Office of Marriage Management, you never want people to respond ad hoc. They become part of the challenge. And again, we needed our people to understand incident command and the role that they play, especially with the volunteer aspect and the role that they may play as things continue. And again, I think Surfside is a prime example of that. Uh, Some of the people from FEMA down they were phenomenal. They saw what we were doing. Uh, One of the first agencies that we actually ended up interacting with was the group from Israel. Uh, I had been in Israel uh, for about 10 days during an operation one time, and we were sharing some stories and were able to help those folks decompress. And as I put in one of my articles, uh, one of the first respondent articles I, I posted with ICISF, one of the most profound things we had in there, uh, one of the individuals from the Israeli search and rescue team were there. And he sat down with one of our canines and it happened to be mine at the time. And he was he was talking with me and he gets up and he goes, you know what, this is exactly what I needed to get me back to the pile to search more. And again, he had a, an ominous job ahead of him, you know, to go in there and try to find the remains of people who obviously are buried. But that helped him, if you will, from the standpoint of um, resilience building that resilience back up so he can go. And then we were also part of the recovery piece and helping people, if you will, um, accelerate their recovery, making sure that they understood that this isn't something that happens all the time. You need to understand this. And again, these things don't go away, but certainly you you learn to to live with them better. So again, there's a a great deal of training. Our, Our canines have to go through a lot of training. They have to have a basic therapy background. And then we have a crisis response K nine certification they have to go through that's quite challenging, and then for a couple of our dogs, uh, mine in particular, we actually have working service dog certifications. Uh, my dogs have they call a tactile distraction, but we've done a lot of work with the military as well. Um, as I, I spoke to you prior to the program, I have two kids. Uh, my my daughter was a lieutenant in the navy. My son's, you know, he's a he's a captain in the marine corps now. We'll be heading out to the West Coast, you're going to be taking care of them. Um, you know, again, we, we understood the role that, that that we could play with the military. Uh, I have a, a, a gold star wife out here on the, on the East Coast that we work with, with wounded warriors, uh, the TAPS program, tragedy assistance program for survivors. We'll be doing that this Memorial Day weekend once again. So again, we saw a number of different things that were availed to us individually. But our people had to have their training, the canines had to have a certain level of training. And again, so far we've had, you know, phenomenal success to the point where just last Friday I met with the president and CEO of ICISF, uh, the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. And we are going into a strategic partnership about what we can do, not only from the standpoint of the K9 but also obviously the crisis intervention stress debriefings, especially for our first responders. But then he also talked about the role that we would play internationally with others. I mean, he, he had a request from Germany in regards to what's going on from the standpoint of the synergistic effect, if you will, of critical incident stress management and animal assisted crisis response. So there's so much that we're doing. There's a lot of challenges for those who want to participate in our organization. Um, we do have a number of backlog, if you will, uh, just in, in California alone. I know of at least six teams, and that's without embellishment, at least six. It's just a matter of when can I get out there? It's not that it's a micromanagement aspect, but obviously from a standpoint, of we're gonna have these dogs go out into these environments. We need to make sure they're okay. Uh, we have one dog that was down in Surfside that was uh, significantly negatively impacted by flashing lights. Well, when we're responding to these things, you know full well, whether it's the event, whether it's the aftermath, you're going to have flashing lights. So those are the things that we have to gauge and assess, let alone the role that every one of our handlers has to have. Not only from a standpoint of what they need to know, you know, incident command as I spoke, but they have to have you know, a sound understanding and a level of education, if you will, with psychological first aid, and again, now a great emphasis for our organization is the critical incident stress management. If you're going to go in there and you're going to be interacting with people, you have to understand that you are not a therapist. You know, you are just there as a bridge, if you will, to help those individuals. And if they need additional help, we are going to work with first responder organizations and other organizations from employee assistance to make sure we can take care of the, the mental wellness, if you will, of the people involved.
0: Yeah, and so that's, that's the role, know your role for the, the human side of the team. Uh, I guess when you get to a scene, um, this may be surprising to some, but cops can be stoic, <laughs> cops can resist help, um, and there's a tendency sometimes to be suspicious of people, right? Especially in a situation, the situations you're going in where people are definitely guarded, right? And, and as peer support officers, we're told to listen rather than like, just like you said, we're not there to fix things, right? No. We're just there to add support. And so the canines are just the greatest just to be there, right? I've seen them at school at the university where I teach now. Um, they bring uh, therapy dogs on campus. And during finals, those poor dogs are just surrounded and mobbed like they're rock stars right you've got this great website where you list your trainers your handlers and your your canines um, How do you pick the canines? Uh, you talked about something about their temperament um, you know when we do the horse training the mounted units, uh, you know, they'll throw firecrackers, uh, at the feet of the horses to make sure that they don't get skittish and they don't run off, you know, during a, a gunshot or a celebration or things like that. What, what are some of the other things you do with your canines?
1: Well, it's very similar. What's nice is there's a number of programs out there that exist that they, the folks don't have to go through specifically our organization. For example, you have the Alliance of Therapy Dog that you have to go through and they get accustomed. You mentioned schools. We do a lot with hospitals as well. You know so they get some accustomed to wheelchairs and some of the other equipment that's rattling around and again that's a good basic that's our lowest rung of the ladder if you will and again when, when we do you know when we're checking the uh, the background of the canine they actually have a program out there that every one of my dogs has to go through where they shoot a 22 because you're going to have loud noises such as that and depending upon the environment you know, it might get to that level. So again, certainly, and what's nice is, like I said, AKC opens, you know, has programs. When they come to us, they can prepare accordingly. So when they're going through our testing, of you or our evaluation process, they could have practiced all that. And just this morning, I was, I was working with a school system. They went to put together a program and they're talking what, you know, their needs are. Again, it's, it's interesting. You say uh, one of the most, I've had two very challenging, more than two, but two very challenging events in regards to how you just described it as their rock stars. Um, after the event at Pulse, we had deployed to Pulse many years ago. And after that event, uh, we had gone to a fundraiser. We were out, we were working with people, and one of the people who was out there said, hey, would you mind joining us? We have a fundraiser tonight. It would be great if we could have you there. There's going to be law enforcement, first responders. They, again, they know my affinity for first responders, so they use that. And we got in there, and it was a club, and then people were drinking. And the next thing you know, they became rock stars. But understand, that's very uncomfortable for a canine. And we have to address that. Same when you, when you mentioned a school. Uh, we do active shooter presentations, You know, trying to help the kids prepare accordingly. And I remember the first time we did that, we probably had 1,100 kids who were in their, their theater and they all started rushing the stage for four canines. So what we did was we put the canines up on the stage so that they weren't being overwhelmed by everybody coming down on them. So those are some of the things that, you know, we go through and we assess because canines are gonna be challenged with that. Same thing with our handlers, quite frankly. How are people going to handle that? Um, The range of emotions. I I mean, I go back to the the Las Vegas deployment. Um, Some of the the parents who lost loved ones. And, you know, you, you have to be prepared for those emotions, that full range of emotions. And you put it best, as we both have discussed, It's not our role to be the therapist. We don't have that that level of of understanding, if you will, or training or education. It's our role to be there for them, to comfort them, as we said in your your earlier Salvo, talking about strength and comfort. And again, hopefully providing that bridge to that next path. And we've been very successful with that. But that's part of our assessment. Our crisis response canine evaluation, uh, it's a lengthy process. It's a couple hours long. And you know, we'll have people who want to attach themselves to you, very emotional. And then we'll have others who'll be like, leave us alone. Going back to what you said about the police aspect. you know, We're there to diffuse not only the event and some of the, the, the civilians, if you will, that are impacted by the, the community members. But again, police, you're absolutely right. But time and time again, you know what's nice? They may not talk to us. They don't, may not want to, I, I've been part of so many, unfortunately, and, Uh, Certainly, I'm not going to tell you specifically where, but we we had a a law enforcement agency who was impacted by the tragic death of someone who had taken their own life. And unfortunately, uh, we we was, you know, the truth be told, we get there and I'm going to be working with an associate and he goes, I don't know if we're going to get two people. I have no idea. That night we had 18 people. That was incredible. We sat around in, in the appropriate formation, if you will. And several of the people at first would not engage. They were there probably vol- because they were voluntold. As much as it was volunteer, they were voluntold. And yet uh, one person in particular is quite unique, would not speak. And at the time I had my, my one dog, my Rottweiler, Gunther. And Gunther sat in front of this person. And the person just started petting Gunther. And you could tell that they were just getting more relaxed. At one point in time, the individual can say, can I say something? And myself and my partner were like, my goodness, wow! what a breakthrough this is. And we're like, absolutely, go ahead. And the person said, yeah, you know, I want you to know that I wasn't going to speak tonight. I had no intention to speak, but this dog provided me so much comfort that I just need to say something. Here we come to find out the person who unfortunately had taken their own life, the person who was talking now had been in another agency where a person had also taken their own life. And here, this person was the partner of both, pretty profound. And we started talking about different things. So again, that's the role that the canines play, certainly. And and even with law enforcement. And you are so aptly right. I mean, with with the way, you know, it's funny, I, I, you know, I'm gonna show my age big time here. I continue to watch Adam 12. It's amazing how that program resonates even with today, what's going on and the challenges and everything else. And I'm I'm being honest with you. you know, it's a plug for Adam 12, because last night I'm watching, you know, how Jim Reed was responding to someone had, who, who had killed a five-year-old. And, you know, ha- how do you deal with that? And those things happen every single day, not only the event itself, but the cumulative effect. Those things have happened in our careers, Jim. You know that. How do we respond to that? How do we react to that? It's It's going to be compartmentalized in some way. How are you going to respond to that throughout your lifetime? How, what's, the, what's the impact to your family? So those are the things we're able to discuss. And again, the canines play such a pivotal role in bringing that comfort level and helping to diffuse and decompress from the event so we can talk about some of the real issues, the well-being of our first responders in particular.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about the, the mental health aspects, um, and, you, and you just aptly said that we we're not trained you know, the thousands of hours required to be therapists. Do you partner with mental health professionals? Do they Do you team up with somebody or do you just use whoever's at the site you're visiting? Well,
1: again, we, we don't respond ad hoc. Um, we that, that other group that I was telling you about, they responded to Buffalo ad hoc. And we've already gotten a response that they want us to go and meet with them. Because again, they know exactly what you just said. We partner. A lot of times... Uh, prime example pulse I reached out to the incident command and had connectivity knew what our role was before we went down the incident commander himself was a phenomenal gentleman and we talked about how we could assist each other and part of that is working with the victim advocacy centers making sure we're working with those who have been chosen for that emotional support role you know and, and again absolutely we go in there we always want to know even even just locally here we had um, a high school, unfortunately, we've been to uh, a couple of times over the last couple of months. Tragically, they've lost a couple of students. But again, we go in there and we partner. It's, it's amazing how many times, because there's, there's, there's naysayers. There's always going to be naysayers. And um, I just met with, with two individuals who certainly were therapists and, and far more learned than I. And they sat back and watched the canines and then were able to identify those who truly needed their services. So again, it's it's imperative that we have that partnership, if you will, going into an event so that, you know, we, we don't want to go in blind and think that we can direct people because that's some of the things you'll see. And that's part of our testing for our CRC certification. One of our, I, I shouldn't tell us for the people who are out there because they can cheat, but, you know, one, one of the testing elements is you go up to a person and they tell you, hey, you know, hey, Jim, where's my wife? I'm looking for my wife. And and you're going to, hey, how do you respond? You don't know. Well, then you tell them you don't know. Well, you got to help me. I want you to help me. Well, I will get someone who will help you. And that's just an example. And that's really happened, you know, especially when we were at at a certain event where a tragedy occurred. And it's like, okay, you're here to help, then you help. And again, understand your limitations and understand there's other people out there. It's imperative you know who they need to go to. Or again, you're going you're gonna to leave yourself naked out there. And again, if you start to engage, you're going to probably harm that person far more than you will assist them. So yes, we have to partner ahead of time before we go into any of it.
0: Great. Hey, I want to get more into the locations. I mean, you mentioned the Pulse shooting in Orlando and Las Vegas uh, country music festival just tragic mass shootings um i want to get into how you select your locations how you're called um and uh how do you get everybody together and go i mean sometimes we're talking about immediate aftermath of these things and people need help right away but first i want to take a moment and thank our sponsor Polco's national law enforcement survey provides a comprehensive accurate and representative picture of resident opinions related to police services Compare your results with other agencies around the nation. Align your priorities with community sentiment, build trust, and improve safety services. Visit info.polco.us to learn more. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Major John Hunt, co-founder and chief operating officer of Crisis Response Canines Crisis Intervention. Hey, you're doing great work out there, and we talked about Uh, some of these really horrific events, and people, I mean, they must look like they're coming out of a war zone, like they're, they're shell-shocked, and you're bringing in Rottweilers, (laughs) Gunther, I don't know, what's, what's your initial um, response? Uh, It seems like counterintuitive that, you know, right after people want to shut down and hunker down, and now this, you know, this massive dog or these other you know, dogs that you have are coming towards them. What do you see as that sort of transition period from this horrific event to, to switching over to their focus on the canine?
1: Well, there's a couple of things you brought up and right before you went to break, you asked about how we choose the locations and, and the locations choose us. Uh, the only thing I will say to you is because of my background and as well as yours, in incident command and being you know, an incident commander for a number of different events, is um, a lot of times, Pulse in particular, we reached out to the incident command. We made sure, because we've, we've been told before, we don't need your assistance. And perhaps they don't understand what we provide, which is fine. But again, I don't wanna be a more of an issue or a challenge to those who are going through that process. But I can tell you like uh, Virginia, Uh, You talk about the immediate response and and you're talking about Gunther the Rottweiler. I actually have three Rottweilers, but we have every we have, you know, little Shih Tzus. We have Chihuahuas. We have Great Danes. We had a myriad of selection, you know, of of the breeds and many are rescues. uh, Many are are full as well. So we have a cornucopia of of dogs that are part of our process. And our staff, you know, the people who are part of our organization know that any given time, We've had you know, multiple locations that we had to respond to. I uh, remember the time we had, unfortunately we had the, the tragedy in Ohio, we had the tragedy in El Paso, and we had to respond to both. So again, we know that our, our people who are part of this program, that the deployment teams know that they have to be ready at a moment's notice. And it's, and it's ironic because you'll see you know, the, the, the tragic events just occurred in Buffalo. Immediately our people are talking. And you know, it, originally we didn't have a request and you know, one of our people had reached out, our law enforcement liaison reached out and they said, right now we're good. And they said, we have therapy dogs. Uh, you know, we we certainly do have our comfort therapy dogs. We have dogs that do nothing but go to schools and go to hospitals and, and do that work. And then we have our deployment dogs that have higher level of certification for the canines and, and much higher level of certification for the handler. They are already at a moment's notice of deploy. In Virginia Beach, we were we were en route several hours after. And again, it's, it's ironic that you say that because it's it's funny how we are as human beings. As much as events have occurred, we still wanna go back to that location. Uh, whether we believe the spirit is still there, whether there's a need you know, to memorialize many times, putting flowers in, and commemorating some things of, of life and celebrating life they gathered. So it's it's good for us to be in those locations, if you will, because as people are, are so emotional, it, it allows them, as I said to you earlier, that, that decompression for a moment's notice, if you will, so that they can actually start thinking. And, and that's where we come into play. But we have to be ready at a moment's notice, as we always are. Um, you know, Just like I said to you this morning, you're, you're West Coast, I'm East Coast. It's lunchtime here. We've already been working. My, my Buffalo team is ready to go. We've talked about a number of different things. Uh, we they had asked us to hold off, and the reason they asked us to hold off because a lot of people don't realize there's going to be services, and maybe right now they don't need us. Uh, Baltimore, we went down, you know when you know when the firefighters lost their lives, and we we interacted, uh, we we had the the blessing of interacting with the family and some of the members who were were actually at the event and had to take on and and bring out their comrades. Um, you know, most recently as well, we had the, the two Pennsylvania state troopers who were, who were killed in a car accident and, you know, uh, meeting with their families and meeting with the first responders who were on scene. So, again, these are the things that we do, but we always make sure we have contacts ahead of time and that we are prepared to go, like I said to you on a moment's notice.
0: Yeah, so you've got a great uh, logo shirt there, your crisis response uh, logo on your shirt. When you get to one of these situations the community just sees people showing up with these great dogs how do they know that you're represented a representative of law enforcement um what's the the signal to them
1: as you well know uh, most of the time you're going to have not only an incident community but you're gonna have a commander on scene we virginia Beach, a prime example we went to those folks and you had fbi and virginia beach you know you had virginia troopers there as well uh, being a trooper, we we're, we're family. You know that. You know that's that's the only reason I'm doing this podcast is because you're family. So you first off get with your family, and then others start to see you know the the opportunities that exist. Virginia Beach is a great example because um, not only did we interact with the people who were were coming in general to the location, they started directing us to family members who were there. The next thing you know, is, it's funny, we were going and seeing dispatchers because you know a lot of people don't realize our communications operators and the play, role they play. They're part of our, our first responder family. And time and time again, we we're going to there. And then uh, we, we had an invite. They had a, an, an incredible event. I mean, it was an event at, at one of their civic centers. And they asked us to go to that. And we actually sat with a number of the people who were there and were present and were right with the the, uh, shooter who was going around. And they certainly were uh, very communicative, if you will, once we sat with them. And and was myself and another gentleman, Kurt, uh, we sat with the group. There was eight men and we talked about the events of that day because, you know, sometimes people have survivor's remorse and that's what was going on that day. And we started talking with them that, you know, it's, you know, here we are, Jimmy, you and I, and I'm sure, you know, a host of your people who are are, are podcast listeners, you know, we, we know what we do. We trained and we're going to respond. Well, when an event occurs, unless you've had that level of training, there's going to be that moment of hesitation. Uh, You know, there's, there's people who think I, what if I would have pushed that pod over on him? That would have stopped him. Well, at the time you were probably trying to decipher yourself mentally, what is going on but you need to talk to those people about that. They need to hear that from, from someone. And again, sometimes it takes somebody with a law enforcement background. That's, that's where I have the advantage. Uh, I'm, I'm part of, of two groups, if you will. As much as I co-founded the Crisis Response K9, I work with a Mercury group, which is merely focused on nothing but working with first responders. And time and time again, because I have a background in law enforcement, my dad was a, you know in the fire service. Again, they'll listen because it's like, wait a minute, you know, you know how it is, Jim. The person has cred, and you know you get in there and and again they they see this they see the canine and sometimes it's just wondering what okay what is that doing here why are they there so i mean it's it's whatever it takes to make sure we're taking care of the well-being of those involved first you know first responders is, is is foremost in my mind but we've been asked time and time again with the communities with schools now with businesses who are impacted by events We've been asked to visit with them and interact with them with our with our critical incident stress management and our debriefing capabilities.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned survivors' remorse, and that's a real thing. I've seen it, and uh, thanks for saying that. And thanks for saying uh, acknowledging the dispatchers who were the emergency communication um, call handlers who we oftentimes forget about. You know, they're stuck at this console where there there's a feeling of helplessness sometimes you know they're directing operations and things they're certainly impacted you know we we obviously think about police and firefighters and ems uh response um but i'm really uh you know thankful that you're reaching out to those other people on the secondary line that we sometimes forget about
1: absolutely their family i'll tell you we've made a, a- uh, as of late, and, and um, certainly if, if you're if any of your group will join us on our Facebook page, you'll see some of the images because and there are images that are captured by others they're shared with us. Uh, but I will tell you that time and time again, that is the case we've done so much with our, 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 folks and, and have had such great success with our communications operators and something I want to bring out to those who, who may not be law enforcement but listen to your podcast. I, I remember the the one debriefing we had, and it was a debriefing. Uh, a police officer was involved. There were several police officers involved, but a, a mother had had um, tragically taken the, her, the had stabbed and taken the, the life of her five-month-old. And this individual found the child. He found the baby. Imagine how how challenging that is. Literally three hours later, he was in a fight at a domestic. And and got injured, and I think all too fo- all too often people forget. I mean, you see all the things that have happened over the last couple of years. And I know it's a challenge for law enforcement, but it's not just one element. It's everything that we're involved with. And again, there's a prime example of, you know, here you are doing that. Three hours later, you're in fisticuffs and and getting injured. People don't realize that cumulative effect of what happens in law enforcement, like. You know, everyone thinks that that one car stop is the only thing that's happened that day for that, that officer, no. And, and I'll tell you, I got schooled by the, the, the operators many years ago. Uh, I had the opportunity to, to serve uh, three different details in Camden City, which was was notified back then as, as one of the most dangerous cities in America. And I remember we had a, one, of my, one of my team got shot one time and all the things that happened with that and people can imagine all of their imaginations. But think of yourself as the dispatcher, the operator, communicating, listening, and it. And then all of a sudden, everything stops. You don't know what happened. You were not there, and that, that takes its toll. Even those serving in a in a command post. Uh, we had an event lately where uh, you know recently where a police officer was shot, and they brought the officers in with the people who were response. You know they were the actual response people, and quite frankly, we separated them. There's two different functions there. However, people need to realize, obviously those who were present during the shooting, they needed a stress debriefing. They needed to comprehend. And, and this is not a critique of the event. This is the well-being aspect. And then we met separately with those who were at the command post. Because imagine making the command post decisions of, hey, listen, you're going into that house. This is what you're doing. This is what I'm telling you to do. So again, they have a significant role as well that needs to be defined and needs to be addressed after the event. So there's so many things we've learned there, and we certainly look at it from the totality of, of all events that we're involved with.
0: Yeah, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask, what do you do for the canine handlers themselves? I mean, they are right there in the trauma, hearing these stories. We talk about, you know, when when we're peer support officers, how sometimes they can take on sure. um, all of this you know, grief and, and tragedy from the other, right? So how do they debrief? How do they offload? What do you do for the handlers?
1: We and again, we going into this, and it's it's my background as well as yours. We have an incident briefing, we have an incident debriefing, which is our group. Then after that, we actually have folks who have volunteered to assist us that'll provide us that, that opportunity for us to actually debrief again from a standpoint of mental health. And we have regular training throughout the year. Uh, just recently we had someone from ICISF come in here and talk to us about that very topic. And it was a two-hour session of, of actually talking about where you are and talking about different things. Same thing we do with, with our debriefings with those, let's say law enforcement. You know, what could happen? Are you, your sleep? What's happening with your eating habits? Are you still working out? You know, have you increased your drinking? Are you know are we self-medicating? So those are all the things we are very upfront with those things, not only doing our debriefings of others, but with ourselves as well. And fortunately for the canines, quite frankly, each one of these dogs is owned by us. So again, we encourage people from time to time. The woman who co founds it with me, she makes sure she reaches out and gets Benny bones or whatever treats they may have to make sure that they're getting the opportunity to decompress themselves. And we always encourage people after these events you know, if you want to let them run loose on the beach, well, then do so. They need that as well, because people don't really realize the, the stress that comes under a canine. Because every I don't know how many times I hear it it's like, oh, what a job you have. You get pet all day. You know, they're taking on that stress. And people don't realize that. Just recently when we had, like I said to you, we had that that tragedy at that high school. Uh, my dogs in particular are are. are trained to turn around. So their faces in your face, they're sitting in front of you. So you can, you know, pet them and you can feel comfortable. You're, you can see the stress that's going off of people. I saw one person who was best friends, you know, with the individual who had, had lost his life in a car accident and, you know, hugging the dog. Yeah. The dog's feeling that. So you're right in the fact that, you know, people like myself and others need that opportunity as well as the canines. The nice thing, like I said, is I own them and I can gauge them and I know his baseline so I can work with them. And there's been times, Pulse is a great example, where I pulled a dog off the line. You could see the dog was being overwhelmed by what was going on. And it was that bar scene I told you about. You could just sell the dog had had enough that day. We had been through some things. We always make sure we give dogs downtime in between different events. That dog had had enough that day. And it was time for that dog actually to go back to the hotel and just chill out. So again, that's what's nice is, you know, the handlers know the baseline. We have specific training in that regard. So once again, we know how to address that.
0: Yeah, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, How can people learn more? How can they join, contribute, um, ask for a visit? Uh, Your website is a great resource. Can you tell us about that? How to contact you and follow up?
1: Sure. And, and, and I will say to you now, remember, I'm an operational guy. So are you. I'm OK with the website. It's OK. Now, I will tell you that the best way to do those things you just talk about is probably reach out on Facebook. Everybody has the social media at Crisis Canines, you know, on our Facebook. And then they can, you know, they can certainly follow us. They can message us. Uh, and and if, they're, if they're apt to do so, obviously, any contributions or donations will aid us. Uh, with some of our administrative costs, and again, we are a nonprofit. So any one of these deployments, they they cost money, and so again, anything they would put out that, that way. But if you go through Facebook Canines, I know that we have several people who are monitoring that, and they'll communicate with them accordingly.
0: Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show, Major John Hunt, co-founder and COO of Crisis Response Canines. You, my friend, are a rock star. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you, I'm sure you have an inkling of what you're doing and, and what it means to people. Um, you know, I see, uh, like I said, you know, my students uh, mobbing these these therapy dogs at, at times of the year, you know, midterms and then finals. Sure. Uh, my own son said that uh, somebody brought a canine into his station just last week. We were talking about, uh, you know, I was excited to talk about you. And with you and um he said yeah we had it last week at, at the station and i was thinking are, where are we going with this i mean you know the, the firefighters they have so many advantages over us you know with the big screen tvs and basketball hoops and great cookouts and all that and they get a dalmatian at their firehouse do you ever see uh canines working uh just hanging out at at police stations
1: we do. Actually, uh, we, we've unfortunately had to go out to a couple of events out in Pittsburgh, and now law enforcement is looking for the same programs. And it's funny you say that. When we went down to Baltimore. They didn't have a Dalmatian. They had a German Shepherd. So, but again, it's, it's some of the things that, the, and I have to be careful, and I know podcasts, and I know I'm going to upset some of your audience, but whether it's the donut eaters or the, or the hose draggers, we're all that same family. So, yeah, but I mean, I've seen that time and time again, and we, we are getting contacted more and more often. I just got contacted yesterday by Georgia, who wants to put together a program specific to what you're saying so that they have, you know, that component readily available to themselves within the house, the station house. So, again, you see that and it's and it's more frequent. And, I, I, you know, I know your, your son serves as well out there in San Francisco. It's, it's great that they take that opportunity just for a second to decompress and, and hopefully get them through the rest of the day for their own resilience, if you will.
0: Yeah. Hey, thanks again for being on and, you know, best to your family and and your your family in the service. Thanks for the service. And hey, thanks for what you're doing for law enforcement.
1: You got it. Hey, Jim, thank you very much. And again, uh, everyone out there, please, you know, keep keep the faith and be safe.
0: Hey, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, check out John Hunt on his uh, Facebook page and you will see our links in the show notes below. Let us know what you think, let us know who you'd like to hear from, what you'd like to hear about. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Hey, be careful out there. Watch your six and hope that you'll listen in again real soon. Take good care. I'm Jim Dudley.